Well, amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it seems like you have already preached your message to us through these songs. Christ is all. You are our grace. You are our everything. And Jesus certainly is enough. He is sufficient for anything that we will ever go through and anything that we will ever need. And we thank you for that. Now bless this time that we have together. May we hear from you, Father. It's important that you speak to our hearts, and so we ask you to do so. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, there's my name. Let's see if I can go somewhere else with it. There we go. <laughs> It's a rhetorical question, of course. Is Jesus enough? Because all of us would say, certainly, he is enough. And, uh, but do we live that way? We live in a society uh, with television, commercials, everywhere you are, and uh, radio stations, always trying to make you feel dissatisfied. I need Jesus, but I need Jesus plus a better car. A bigger and newer house, new clothes, and you could just make your list. I uh, sitting here, I, sometimes I joke with myself, and I don't take this wrong. I need Jesus plus another wife. Now, careful, guys. I'm widowed, so I can pray that prayer, right? <laughs> you guys are married. That that should not ever even cross your mind, ever. I was just thinking about that. Thought about getting up here and telling you a few stories about Jonathan. You would probably like that, but I'm not going to put him through that agony. Uh, I will tell you about the first time I ever preached. I was a student at Oklahoma Baptist University, and they asked me to go over to one of the nursing homes and to preach. And so I got my Bible out, found a topic, and I studied, and I studied, and I studied. And I went over there, and we sang our songs, and they introduced me and I got up and preached and I lasted a whole five minutes. <laughs> now I wasn't going to tell you that story because I didn't want to get your hopes up. <laughs> but I've always loved nursing homes ever since because when I got finished, those uh, wonderful old people that were there, they shook my hand and told me what a great job I'd done and to come back and do it again. And uh, so I have always loved those people in nursing home. You could preach the worst sermon you ever had in your life and they would tell you good job good job well all I can say is that this message has been in progress probably all my life but really out of the last six and a half years my wife as probably most of you know died of cancer she had metastasized and came back and she lasted a year and 11 months and been about six years ago and I had to learn to start all over Jonathan was still in Hawaii he called me every day and sometimes twice a day if I was in a crisis uh, my other son he now has six children he had five at the time I think and he his hands were full and uh, and they were both hundreds and thousands of miles away so I was basically on my own and it left a huge gap a larger gap than I would have ever imagined. I took 30 days off, 
to uh, go through the process of mourning and thought, you know, I was overachiever. I was going to take 30 days and mourn, and then I'd be okay and go on with the rest of my life. Well, it didn't work out that way. God took me through a refining period of about 120 days uh, before we decided what was next. And uh, But one of the things I learned through all that is that Jesus... Jesus is enough. He is enough to meet every need that you have because of who he is and what he's done and how he's provided for us. And those will be our three main topics this morning. Okay, here we go. So far, so good. Let's read this together. This comes out of Colossians, of course, 1, 16 through 20. This will be very familiar with almost everyone here. But I love this passage, and it kind of builds into the first point. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to be reconciled all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Every believer should be able to say yes to that question, is Jesus enough? And I asked that earlier, do we live like that? There's always room for questioning when the law seek God's people complaining so much. Now, this is supposed to be a positive and encouraging message to get you to focus on that Jesus is enough for whatever you go through in life, whatever God's purposes are. As Marty would say, as things are going according to plan. In the bottom of all of this is that Jesus is sovereign. He's in control. So it doesn't matter what we go through, whether it seems good or bad. It is what God has designed for us. And what he's designed for us, he has placed Jesus in the middle of it. And he is enough. We have all these things. We have these bucket list. We have these places around the world we'd like to go see. We have these things we'd like to accomplish in life. And there's nothing wrong with that. God has given us the entire universe to enjoy. This is not about being poor or being rich. This is being about being satisfied and knowing and living in the context that Jesus is enough. Philippians 2.14 is one of my favorite verses. It's always a conviction to me. It was one of the least favorite verses for uh, Michael and Jonathan growing up. Because if they whined too much, they got to write this verse ten times, a hundred times. Uh, Jonathan's memorized many verses, but I'm sure he's never forgot this one. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become the blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation 
among whom you shine as lights in the world. Now take that first verse, do all things without complaining and disputing. I think King James says murmurings. Uh, but it means, let me just give you a very short paraphrase of that verse. No whining. No whining. Uh, we had a Christian school for a while, which I was in charge of, and that was one of the, one of the things that uh, I kind of taught over and over again. No whining. That you couldn't, you couldn't whine and you couldn't say these words, it's not fair. If they said those words to me and before they realized what came out of their mouth, then they got a story. Maybe it was the kids that were 14 years old in Haiti and were being kicked out of the orphanages and had to go compete against the adults for a dollar a day job. I said, well, what would be fair is if they had to come over here and take your place for 14 years and you go take their place for the next 14 years. That'd be fair. Do you want what's fair? No. I said, so here's how you answer that. I, said, I don't like this. I don't like this rule. Or I wish I didn't have to do that, but don't ever say it's not fair. I said, life is not fair and it will never be fair. And if that's your objective, you're going to be sadly disappointed but we do that, don't we? Well, that's not fair. Well, they shouldn't have said that. They shouldn't have done this. Or I deserve a better, I, I deserve a raise. I deserve a better job. And everybody does things like that. Listen, I don't know whether it was in the first, my first pastorate or when I came back to that same church for the second time. But I was young and I had these ideas of what a church ought to be and and uh, and I wanted my church to be that perfect church. And I wasn't raised in church, by the way. I wasn't saved till I was 17. And the church I saved in was a large church, people being saved and baptized almost every week. Uh, Tom Ellis was the pastor, if you know anything about him. I didn't even know that churches had problems because I didn't grow up in them. And I went out and I pastored small little rural country churches that usually were dominated by one or two families. And when I first got in there, I thought, what is wrong with these people? <laughs> and I can remember my mom only lived 12 miles away from the first church I was the lead pastor in, and I'd go over and see her often. And one day I was over there, and I was murmuring, complaining about the people and what they were doing and what they were saying, and they weren't being what I thought they ought to be in Christ. And, and I guess I'd done that before, many times, not, not thinking about it. And she looked at me and said, Randy, are you ever going to be happy? And it just struck me. I thought, I am happy. But why would she say it? Because I was always complaining. I always had something to gripe about. Now, I'm sure none of you are like that. Like Marty might say, or Jim, really, don't elbow the person next to you. But we have this problem sometimes is that we don't realize how blessed we are in our salvation and what Jesus is and who he is and what he has done. And we're going to look at that. And we get to be dissatisfied and always wanting more. We forget this in our home and we're not going to spend eternity here. We complain about much and fight over what is rightfully ours. Just realize it's time to put my glasses on. So it brings us to this question. 
Is Jesus enough? Is God's shortiness of anything? Has Jesus done enough? Has he kept his word enough? What is enough? The children of Israel tested God ten times in the desert. What were they? They complained that God was not taking care of them, that he was not being a good enough God for them. That's really what they did when they tested him. Every time they complained against Moses and Aaron and him, got him in a lot of trouble. Then you come to John. You come to John chapter uh, 6. There it is. I was reading this one day and it just kind of blew me away. Jesus answered them. He's already fed the 5,000 men plus women and children, right? And he answered them and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. And therefore they said to him, What sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? What kind of response is that? He's healed the blind already. The lame are walking. The, the dead have been brought back to life. He has just fed 5,000 plus with five loaves of bread and a few fish. And they say, show us a sign. And as I read that, I began to realize, are we not like that sometimes? Okay, Jesus, you've done all this, and we're going to talk about what he's done. And we know that you're the son of God. And we... It, we know that we have eternal life. We know all these things, but what else can you do for me? Isn't there something else? Isn't there another sign? Isn't there another prayer? Isn't there something else that you have to do in order to keep me happy? Now, we'd never say those words out loud. I just did. You see where I'm going? When I was 58 years old, I was standing in a pulpit and I was preaching and as many pastors do, every once in a while we get sidetracked. Chase a rabbit, whatever you want to call it. And I was preaching about something and all of a sudden this just came out of my mouth. It wasn't planned. It wasn't part of my notes. It wasn't anything else. 58 years old and I looked at my congregation. I said, I want you to know one thing. If I lost my health, lost all of my wealth, and lost all of my family, I would not complain, or I wouldn't want to complain, because I've had 58 years that I have not deserved by your grace. I've had it better than I deserved. I have been given more than I deserved. You have been more patient with me than I deserve. If I lost everything, there's no reason I should complain because these first 58 years have been great. They hadn't all been easy. I'd, been, I'd gone through some hard things. Three years later, I'm having my time with the Lord, and I realize I've lost my wife, had $60,000 in debt, things I needed to pay off after she was gone, and my sons were hundreds and thousands of miles away, also in the ministry. It's not like some of you with your... Your offspring, they can take off any weekend and come see you. They couldn't take off. I was alone. Had a good church, but they didn't know what to say or do. You know, they say things like, well, she's in a better place. That's true, isn't it? She's fine. Yes, she's fine. She's better than she's ever been. 
And I wanted to say to him, that's not the problem. The problem's not her. The problem's me. <laughs> I'm trying to work through this. And it was tough the first couple of years. It's been, I'm in my seventh year now, and it's, oh, I, oh, I still miss her. Wish you, I, I don't wish she was here because where she is is so much better than being here. But it's much better now than it was those first couple of years. So I say that to say that we have this intent to say, Jesus, you're enough. You're all I need to satisfy me. Point one, Jesus is the sovereign one, God. Who he is is enough. And you've heard these three words uh, that we're going to look at here. He's the one. Just who he is is enough. And I like to use these three words and, and to describe how uh, my relationship or I try to view uh, my God. And, and I've, I think I've shared this in four men, but I'm going to share it again. Uh, maybe not in much detail, but he's omnipotent and we know that he's all-powerful. He's created everything, every star. You know, we got these new telescopes, the uh, James Webb telescope, whatever that new one is, the Hubble. And they see all these distant galaxies and stars, billions, trillions out there. And each one of these stars has all this nuclear fission going on in it that equals how many thousands and tens of thousands of nuclear bombs going off at one time. And God spoke and it came into existence. You and I cannot imagine that kind of power. When we talk about omnipotent and God, that kind of power is just unimaginable. It's, it's undiscernible. How was that verse we had we were supposed to memorize here a while back? Psalms 145.3. Um, praise, uh, praise, praise the Lord, but it's... Praise the Lord and, and His greatness is unsearchable. Wow, when we had that verse... I thought, boy, that nails it right there. His grace is unsearchable. Now, he reveals himself to us. And as we accept what he reveals and we obey what he reveals, then he reveals more. John 14, 21 says that he who has his commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves, loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and reveal, manifest myself to him. If you want to know more and more about God and have more and more revelation about God through his word and through your prayer time, then be obedient to what he's already given you and then he adds to it. That's one of the problems we had with uh, preacher boys in college. They were all worried about what they were going to do next, do next, do next. And finally, God gave me this verse one day and said, hey, focus on what's now and then I'll reveal to you later what's next. If you want to know what God's will is next, then take care of what God's will is right now. But he's omnipotent. He's also omnipresent. I always thought about this as God being everywhere. And, of course, that's what it means, omnipresent, everywhere. It's, you know, David talks about in the Psalms, you know, doesn't matter where I go in the depths of hell or down in the seas or wherever I go, uh, God's there. And then one day I was studying and, and I realized the reason why God's everywhere. If God created the universe, and he did, right? 
than the universe and everything that is in existence, everything that is in existence came from his word, from him. Everything that exists exists because it is of God. God took of himself and created the universe. All matter, all time is under God's sovereign control because he created it. God is not controlled by the massiveness of space. He controls it. He, is, he contains the space. It's contained in him. He is not contained in the space. He is sovereign over it all. And same way with time. God created time for us. Time does not control God. He is not controlled by time. God controls time. You see, he's, he's omnipresence because it is his creation. It is out of him. This universe is billions and billions and billions of light years across. Can you imagine a God? Can you, can you, can you have the understanding? Is it not beyond understanding for you to understand a God who is omnipresent in a universe that is so expansive? And then he's omniscient. So if he has all this greatness in his power and he has all this greatness in his present, what does that say about his knowledge? Is there anything God doesn't know? Is there anything that he does not understand? Is there anything to come in the future? Is there anything that's happened in the past? Is there anything you're going through that God does not know and he does not understand? This is the God we worship Christ is all in all. He's all of this. Is that not enough who he is? And my answer is, surely it is. Surely it is. The heavens are yours. The earth also is yours. The world and all it contains, you have founded them. But our God is in the heaven and he does whatever he pleases. Don't ever forget that. It's not about us telling God what to do. It's about us figuring out what God says to do. He does whatever he pleases. What a verse. Even from eternity I am he, and there is none who can deliver out of my hand. I act and who can reverse it? Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and because of your will they exist and were created. You exist because God has spoken that you would exist. There'd be no knowledge of you, no presence of you, no existence of you without God. We exist because of him. We have a life, we have a personality, we have a name, we have a history. Everything about us has happened because there is a God who is enough. Second thing, Jesus is Savior. Not only is he enough in that he is God, but he also has done plenty. And we could camp out here forever, but we won't. What he has done enough, his love. And this is love, not that we love God, but he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Well, that's where you would start, isn't it? But God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Isn't it enough that you have the love of Christ? Nobody likes me. I have a weird personality. 
I don't get along with people. People make fun of me. It doesn't seem like I fit in society. It's just this world just depresses me. God loves you. Even if nobody else does, he loves you. One of my great college friends on October 6th, a couple of weeks ago, I found out yesterday or the day before, him and his wife were shot to death in their own home. Looks like it was by their son who was going through depression and checked himself into a hospital to try to help treat that depression. Terrible, terrible. He hadn't discovered that Jesus' love is enough. If this world would understand that Jesus' love is enough, don't you think it'd be different? Don't you think it'd be easier on the authorities that try to take care of us and protect us? Would we have the war over in Russia and Ukraine and other places around the world? No. All of these hateful things that would happen if people would realize that the love of Jesus is enough would solve all of that. His forgiveness, if we confess our sin, he's faithful and uh, righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't it great to be forgiven? I've been reading through the scriptures again this year, and, and after I get finished, I open up a book called uh, Vision of the Valley. Some of you might know what that is, and has all these prayers that have been written by some Puritans and things like that, and, and I go through, and I take a yellow highlighter, and I just go through three or four of them, and, and say, yep, that's me, yep, that's me, yep, that's me. Sometimes it's for the forgiveness of sins. Sometimes it's because we're not as obedient as we're supposed to be. Sometimes it's because of how much God loves us. And I just identify that and I, I highlight it. And uh, forgiveness is a wonderful thing if you will receive it fully. You've got to forgive yourself. If you don't forgive yourself, have you ever heard this? I'm sure you have. You don't forgive yourself, you're placing yourself above God because if God will forgive you and you won't forgive yourself, you're saying that your forgiveness is harder to obtain than God's. Forgiveness. We can't live without it. Not only are we to be forgiven, but we are to give everybody a clean slate. I just finished up my 50th year as a Christian and went through my jubilee year and one of the things about jubilee is you clean the slate you get to start all over but not only do you clean the slate you clean the slate for everybody else had somebody call me and say oh i didn't want to reopen wounds or this and i said oh don't worry about it i said i've been studying the jubilee and i said everything's clean for my part it's all clean on your part tell everybody i love them you know that's a great feeling to have a clean slate I will cleanse them from all of their iniquity by which they have sinned against me. I will pardon all their iniquities by which they have sinned against me and by which they have transgressed against me. Love this verse. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Regeneration, kind of a Word for those who are Christians and understand uh, 
not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through the Lord Jesus Christ. You are being changed. You are being regenerated. You are being renewed. You are not the person you were before you got saved. Paul talked about, he makes this whole list of things of immorality and all these kind of things and liars and all this stuff. And, he, and Peter does something and such as were some of you. This is what you used to be. And then he goes on, but now this is what you are in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, one of my favorite verses. Therefore, if anyone be in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. If you are saved, you have been regenerated. You are being regenerated. You shall be conformed into the image of Christ even at that last day when you see him face to face. You cannot be a Christian and not change. You hear me? In the Old Testament, the picture was the, the presence of the Spirit coming. They dedicated the temple or the tabernacle, and the Spirit of God came down, and it, the presence was so strong that it drove out the Levites and, and those ministering in, in, in the temple and the tabernacle. When God's presence was there, it, there was no question. Well, when you get saved, you receive the Holy Spirit. You receive the presence of God into your soul, into your life. And my question for anyone is this. How can you have the Spirit of God living in you and not change? It's impossible. What you're saying is that God is not... You're saying God is impotent instead of impotent. You're saying He's not able. The presence of God in you, is Jesus enough to change you? Of course He is. Regeneration is part of that process. Jesus is enough through the Holy Spirit to regenerate your life and to renew you and conform you to the image of Christ. He is. So if you find someone and they say they're a Christian and they prayed some prayer at a camp or somewhere, but their life has never changed, they are deceiving themselves. I am not who I was when I was saved at the age of 17 years old. Immediately things begin to change. The two friends I hung around with, we all three went down at the same revival. We prayed the same prayer. We got the same instruction. We all three said we became Christians, but it became apparent in the next month or two as my life was changing and I was cleaning out our little fort of stuff that shouldn't be there and throwing it out, they were getting angry. And I wouldn't do the same things we used to do. And they were angry and they finally just departed from me and I had to find new friends. Their life did not change. Regeneration. It is enough. He has given us that. His eternal promise. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. 
And he has raised us up with him and seated us in, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. We have been given grace. In him we have redemption through his blood, forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace which he has lavished. Look at that word, lavished on us. He didn't just give us just barely enough to get us saved and to get us by and just to struggle through the rest of life. He has lavished his grace upon us, given us more than enough of himself to live and glorify him in our lives. Blank means that I have something in my notes that's not on there. Here we go. Jesus Christ sufficient is sufficient for redemption. He is sufficient to save anyone, and the salvation he gives is sufficient for eternity. That's in your bulletins. Another one that's there is this. As Christians, we find complete sufficiency in Christ and his provisions for our needs. There is no such thing as an incomplete or deficient Christian. Our Savior's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. Human wisdom offers nothing to augment that. So to possess the Lord Jesus Christ is to have every spiritual resource, all strength, wisdom, comfort, joy, peace, meaning, value, purpose, hope, and fulfillment in life now and forever is bound up in him. Christianity is an all-sufficient relationship with an all-sufficient Christ. All right, last point. Jesus is sufficient. He does provide enough, and that's what that's, that statement in your bulletins is all about. He has provided everything we need to live this new life. There's that 2 Corinthians 5, 17. We have a new heart. We have a new mind. We have a new purpose. Uh, we have a new power. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Um, it was about a year. It was, it was in my second year after Darla had passed away. And the second year in some ways was harder. And I was struggling and trying to get through some things. And three or four times in one week, either in my quiet time or in the study, I was preparing for a Wednesday night presentation or a book I was reading or something like that. This verse came up over and over and over. And every time it did, I knew it. We've all heard that, have we not? Isn't that one that we quote sometimes? And I said this. Now, I wasn't being irreverent, but I just said to God, just being honest, I said, God, you know that I wasn't looking for your grace to be sufficient. I was looking for the pain to go away. A little bit similar to Paul. I was looking for you to remove this thorn. I just wanted to be free of this thorn. I just wanted to be free of the pain. And God says, yes, but my grace is sufficient for you. And I, and I ended that prayer saying, but God, your grace is sufficient. And that's what you're telling me. And if I have to live with this pain the rest of my life, I will trust in your grace. It'll be enough. Jesus is enough. Okay, a new destiny. We all talk about this, heaven. What is it going to be like? We've got a few descriptions in oh, places like Ezekiel and Revelations and, and a little bit of Isaiah, different places. But 
Who knows what it's going to be really like? It's going to be like nothing we have experienced here. And uh, we've got this new destiny. We've got this new home. And sometimes we forget that, especially when death occurs and and uh, we don't realize. Like I said, I, I don't wish that my wife was still here because she is so much more blessed where she is. Martha had this same thing. She came to Jesus and said, if you'd been here, Lazarus wouldn't have died. And how did Jesus answer that? He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even if he dies. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Yes, we believe this. It's going to be okay. I never thought about much de about death in heaven. I knew that was the end result when I had finished my life. I was just focused on living this life. And Tar Darla left, and then it became a much bigger reality to me. Like, well, I wonder... How long I will be here? I'm in good health. I don't, at this point, unless God intervenes and says uh, there's somebody that I need to take over, I'll, I'll probably be single the rest of my life. Uh, I'll end up being single longer than I was married. We were married almost, almost a month short of 38 years. And, uh, but heaven's a lot more of a reality to me now than it was then. And I'd preached hundreds of funerals. I'd worked for a funeral home that did 134 services a year for about five years as a part-time second job. Saw death all the time. And I knew what the scripture said, but it was not a reality to me personally. Saw my mom preach the sermon for my father-in-law's funeral and grandmother and grandfather and great aunt. We have a new destiny. We have a new home. We are traveling the journey to our new destiny and eventually we will arrive. I've, have you, I don't know about you, over the years I've become more and more uh, pleased with or grateful for, I don't, that's not really the right words for, uh, uh, Pilgrim's Progress, you know, about the journey, about all the things you go through and, and who you're placing your faith in. And, and, and someday you're going to finally arrive. Now, it depends how you read that from your backgrounds, but I always read it with, I know he's going to make it. I know the end of the story. And that's the end of our story. We're going to make it. But we have a new home. J.I. Packer says this, he says, uh, what matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, that he knows me. I am graven in the palms of his hand, and I am never, I am never out of his mind. Never. Jesus is enough. He has forgiveness. His forgiveness is enough. His compassion and love is enough. His salvation is enough. He is enough. He's the promised Savior. He, he is a complete Savior. He's the Savior of the world. He saves through His grace. He saves through His death and His resurrection. He's coming again. He saves us from the condemnation of the law and from God's wrath. Saves us from the power of death. He saves us to bring us to God.
He saves us so that we would live for God. He also provides our material possessions. Listen, we all have more than we need. Would you agree to that? I open up, it's just me. But I open up my freezer and it's full of stuff. I open up my refrigerator. It's not empty. There's nothing I need to buy. I live in a one-bedroom condominium. It has all the furniture it needs. Uh, every once in a while I look at things and think, I don't know where to put that anyway. You know, saves me a lot of money because I don't have room to buy it, to put it if I bought it. Uh, I have a little car, has 130,000 miles on it, just a little Ford Fiesta, but it gets about 35, 40 miles a gallon, saves me money there. It does just fine. I've never had to do anything to that car except replace the brakes and tires and battery. And I drive in the traffic and I... And if you drive these cars, fine. But I see the Mercedes, the Lexuses, and all these all fancy cars, the Cadillac Escalades, and you know, some of them cost more than my condominium. <laughs> you know, but I have everything I need. Jesus has been teaching me for the last all my life, really, but for the last seven years, especially, He is providing everything that I need. He is all the need, all the physical needs, financial needs. Uh, I'm out of debt finally. That $60,000 got paid off, praise God. All financial needs, personal needs, emotional needs, he's there. When I go through an emotional wave of grief because Darla's gone, he is there. When I have a personal need, he is there. I can trust him. For everything, because Jesus is enough. Psalm 16, 2. I said to the Lord, you are my Lord, and I have no good besides you. Psalm 73. I memorized these verses earlier in the year. Nevertheless, this is about David or whoever the psalm, maybe Asaph or whoever is writing this particular psalm. And it's, it's the passage where, before this, where he saw the wicked and they were flourishing and they had everything. And he said, I, I was beside myself, I became like a beast before you. He says, but nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterwards receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that I desire, I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. If you're not trusting Jesus for your salvation and every day of your life after your salvation in your daily walk, then what are you saying? Isn't Jesus enough to save you, forgive you, and to keep you for all of eternity? Yes, he is. He is. I hope if you take nothing else with you today, that you will take this. Jesus is enough. He's more than enough. He is beyond enough for you, for your family, for your children, your grandchildren, for anything 
because he is the sovereign one who is over everything and has control everything and everything, as Marty would say, is going as planned, right? Jesus is enough. Let's pray. Father, here we are. And God, every single one of us are guilty of whining or complaining or murmuring about things. We just forget, Lord, how good you have been to us and what great things lie ahead for us when we come home to be with you in glory. You are more than enough for anything that we would ever go through in this life. You, are, you have blessed us abundantly beyond, exceedingly beyond what we would ever deserve. Make us grateful and thankful people, Lord. Let us rejoice always and pray without ceasing. Let us give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. We ask this in Jesus' name.